Anger is just one letter short of the word danger. I was at Men's Accountability Group on Tuesday and I was at Cracker Barrel as is our usual uh, location. And uh, so I had a little bit of time after uh, Men's Accountability Group, I had a little bit of time so that we could, um, I could begin work on this message. And while I was studying and taking notes and, and in the scriptures, I heard over the loudspeakers, I heard, I heard a song that I'd never heard before. And I thought, well, that's interesting. That song is about anger. Specifically, it was about the anger between a husband and a wife. And I won't read all the lyrics here, but I, I want you to understand now that this song is the backdrop of my preparation for this marriage, this, this message. It's about marriage. Last night, this is how it goes. Last night, we went to bed not talking because we'd already said too much. I faced the wall, you faced the window bound and determined not to touch. We've been married seven years now. Some days it feels like 21. I'm still mad at you this morning. Coffee's ready if you want some. I've been up since five thinking about you and me, and I gotta tell you the conclusion I've come to. I'll never leave, I'll never stray. My love for you will never change, but I ain't ready to make up. We'll get around to that. I think I'm right. I think you're wrong. I'll probably give in before too long. Please don't make me smile. I just want to be mad for a while. And I thought, isn't that just the way we are? We like to hold on to our anger. We like to hold on to, we like to nurse that root of bitterness. I don't know why, but on the way to church, this morning I thought about someone who hurt me and I just did the mental calculation. I said, when was that? That was 15 years ago. Why have I not let that go? Why have I not forgiven that person? 15 years. Anger is just one little short letter, one little letter short of danger. Let's pray. Father, you've given me a topic to preach about which I know something. I have experienced anger. I struggle with anger. And yet your word is so clear and your principles are so right. Teach my heart, Lord. Lead me as I lead this congregation today through your passages of scripture. Help us to see what you would have us to see. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. If you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 110, I know that's a funny place to start when you're working through Proverbs, but uh, eventually, I promise, I will get to Psalm 110. You might want to hold your finger there. We'll also be in Psalm 90. Um, and I won't take you through the Proverbs uh, on the various verses that are on anger because there are a lot of them. 
and I will just I will give you the references as I go through. But we will camp out for just a little bit in Psalm 110, and we will camp out in Psalm 90, and then we'll just do little flybys on these Proverbs verses that talk about anger. So about a month ago, we talked about some principles of anger. We had. Uh, five principles of anger, and they all rhyme with the word go or slow. The first one was be slow to anger. Uh, in the New Testament, specifically, the book of James says everyone should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. When we see many references in the Old Testament to God's anger, often that is accompanied by a description of the speed at which God gets angry and consistently over and over again, God is slow to anger. And that is a good thing for us as humans, that God is slow to anger. But we should be slow to anger also. We should not be trigger ready to go off at any time. We should count, uh, we should work against that. We should count to 10. Uh, slow down. So first principle be slow to anger. Second principle say woe to anger. A soft word can turn away wrath. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 8 through 9 says mockers inflame a city but the wise turn away anger. And you know that a gentle word, a soft answer turns away wrath. That is a proverb principle, so we should say woe to anger. Say no to some anger. Some anger is just pure sin. When we give in to anger, we are just absolutely sinning. The Spirit, we have refused the Spirit's guidance. We're not letting Him control our life. We are just mad, and we want to be uh, vent our anger on people. But some anger... Fourth principle, some anger is good to go. It's good. The Bible clearly says be angry and sin not. Righteous anger is good. Here's another verse from Psalm chapter 4. Be angry and do not sin. On your bed, reflect in your heart and be still. Offer sacrifices in righteousness and trust in the Lord. So there are times when we should be angry. And when we are truly angry and when we're doing anger the right way, we really are following our role model because God gets angry. And then the fifth principle, don't let your anger keep going. I was talking to you about someone who made me mad 15 years ago, and I here I am still thinking about that, still nursing that wound. Don't do that. I promise you, the person who hurt me 15 years ago did not feel any ill from what happened this morning. But I did. That, that damaged my spirit. And so I need to give that up. Don't let your anger keep going. The, the scriptures in the New Testament, Paul says it so well. He says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Today I want to talk to you about three types of anger. I want to talk about your personal anger. I want to talk about other people's Anger, And then I want to talk about the Lord's anger. First, let's look at your own personal anger. And I have a new principle for you to add to the previous five. And I call it the patience principle. Proverbs 16.32 is one of the most fascinating verses in all of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 16.32 says this, Patience is better than power. And controlling one's emotions is better than capturing the city. I want you to think about that. Now, those two 
concepts there are tied together. I think they're one and the same. Patience is better than power, and controlling one's emotions is better than capturing the city. And when it comes to anger, we need to control that emotion. That is absolutely for sure. <clears throat> we need to develop patience. It is a strong anger antidote. We need to control our emotions, especially when we're angry. Now, let's talk about what Solomon is talking about here when he's talking about capturing the city. In ancient times, in Old Testament times, capturing the city was about the greatest accomplishment that a soldier or a warrior, a leader, a king could have. Capturing a city. Because when a city was captured, all the riches of that city, all the people who would then become your servants, all the fame that would accompany your name as people told of this great capture. Think about David capturing Jerusalem. He will forever be known as a king who captured Jerusalem. Then he made it his capital city. So when you capture a city, that was a pretty good thing. And if you think about capturing the city and all the things that go with it, basically you were set for life. Your name was set in stone. Your riches were secured. You had, would have all the help you would ever need. <clears throat> but the scriptures say, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> controlling your emotions is better than capturing the city. Now, do you really believe that? It says patience is better than power. And how can power be better illustrated than in the act of capturing a city? Do you really believe that patience is better than power? You've probably heard it said that uh, don't pray for patience. Because the Lord will give you a whole lot of things to help you develop that patience. But the scriptures say that patience is better than power. All right, so here we go. Patience or power, it's your choice. You can have either one. Which one are you going to take? I know most people are going to probably take power. Or controlling your emotions as compared to capturing a city. Which one are you going to take? Well, the scriptures are clear. Patience is better than power. Controlling your emotions is better than capturing the city. So there's the patience principle. That's the sixth principle that we've added to the previous five. Here's the seventh principle for you. Um, I call it the companion principle. And uh, I'm reminded of Brother Ken's message a couple weeks back where he told us to watch our mouth. He said, watch your mouth. This would be watch your friends or watch your companions or watch who you hang with. So the seventh principle is the companion principle. Proverbs 19.19, this is interesting. The scriptures say, a person with intense anger bears the penalty. If you rescue him, you're going to have to do it again. How about this? Proverbs 22.24-25, don't make friends with an angry person. And don't be a companion of hot-tempered men or you will learn their ways and entangle yourselves in a snare. Or Proverbs 29, verse 22, an angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered one increases 
rebellion. So you have the patience principle, and now you have the companion principle. And basically, what I, t- what I want to tell you, Christian, is you need to watch who you hang with. Let me tell you a tale of three brothers. It's a true story. I know these three brothers. And one of the advantages of being 60 years old is that... Um, Well, you got some time under your belt. You can look back and you can see some things, how they played out. And maybe you thought, well, so-and-so is a good role model, and I'm going to follow them. But now 40 years down the road, you realize uh, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. And so when I tell you this tale of three brothers, I want you to know this, that this is a true story. I know these three brothers. One of these brothers was a good friend. He loved and served the Lord. He was careful about who he hang, hung with. He, he uh, watched his friends. Second brother started hanging out with the wrong crowd, going to places he didn't need to be doing things he didn't need to be doing. But he was always in the midst of these companions. And the third brother, interestingly enough, chose neither path, did not choose the righteous path, did not choose the wicked path. He tried to choose a middle path, tried to keep a foot in both worlds, tried to keep a foot in the church world and tried to keep a foot in the world's world. One night, the second brother, who had bad companions, went out with those companions, and in the midst of that evening, there was a robbery and a double murder. And that brother is in jail today, 30 years later. The third brother... You know, the one who was straddling the fence, wanted a foot in the, the Lord's world and wanted a foot in Satan's world. What happened to him? Well, he wasn't with his brother the night of that terrible robbery and murder. But he went to prison, too, because he had been with them and he knew that they were up to no good. And so he was an accomplice after the fact. He went to prison for a while, too. And the first brother, the first brother who knew and practiced this companion principle of hanging with the right people, people who love Jesus. He's serving the Lord today. He's preaching today. And the Lord has done a work in his life and continues to do a work in his life. So when it comes to anger, the patience principle is there. The companion principle is there. So we've talked a little bit about our own personal anger. We've talked a little bit about other people's anger. Now let's talk about the Lord's anger. And do you feel a little bit uncomfortable when you talk about the Lord's anger? There are over 550 references to the Lord's wrath or the Lord's anger in the Bible. It is a major theme. You cannot read the Bible without seeing it. You dare not. And so in Psalm 110, 
This psalm was written by David. It's one of my favorite psalms. And so you may ask me, Kevin, why, why is it one of your favorite psalms? Well, Ralph, this would be a good one to memorize. It's pretty easy to memorize. Only seven verses. Very memorable, flavorful, colorful. Also, Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Jesus himself quoted this psalm uh, when he was using it to shut the mouths of the scribes and the Pharisees. And Psalm 110 gives us a fascinating inside look at the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. It, I have read it over and over, and I'm still unable to comprehend the depth of the relationship between the Father and the Son. And Psalm 110 tells us who's going to win in the end. And I like that because the Lord's going to win. And Psalm 110 helps us understand the depth and the horror of the Lord's anger. Psalm 110. This is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. Rule over your surrounding enemies. Your people will volunteer on the day of your battle. In holy splendor from the womb of the dawn, the dew of your youth belongs to you. The Lord has sworn an oath and will not take it back. You are a priest forever according to the pattern of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his anger. He will judge the nations, heaping up corpses. He will crush leaders over the entire world. He will drink from the brook by the road. Therefore, he will lift up his head. So when you look at Psalm 110, it's beautiful and it's scary because you see what's going to happen in the end. The Lord is going to set all accounts straight. He's going to call in everything that has ever been done. He's going to judge. And it doesn't matter whether you're just a normal person like us or whether you're a king. He's going to judge the nations. He's going to judge kings over the entire world. The Lord's anger is a frightening thing. When we talk about the Lord's anger, I think it's important that we define it. J.I. Packer says this, God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. Failure to respond to evil is not love. And if God did not respond to evil, he would not be demonstrating his love. So we see the wrath of God defined. Now, you need to know that God's wrath is not just on his creation, but it's on people generally. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who by unrighteousness suppress the truth. God's wrath is on people generally, but God's wrath is also on people specifically. John chapter 3 verse 36 says this, The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. 
So yes, God's wrath is on all people generally, but specifically, God's wrath is on those people who reject his son. Because if you do not, re- if you do not accept Jesus Christ, you will not see life and the wrath of God will remain on you. And it's not just on all those people who rejected Christ. It is on you specifically if you reject Christ. Romans chapter 2 verse 5 says, Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's judgment is revealed. Every day you go without accepting Christ as your Savior, you are storing up wrath. For yourself. A scary thought. But that's not where the story ends. God's wrath has been intercepted. I'm going to use a football analogy and it doesn't work because we're going to talk about interception. Normally, when an interception takes place, you have a receiver and he's anxiously waiting the ball, and then someone from the other team comes in, swoops in captures that ball, intercepts that ball, and if he has a clear path to the goal, it's going to be a pick six. But you were the receiver of God's wrath. The pass had already been thrown. The ball was on its way to you, and you were going to receive God's wrath fully, but Jesus saved you from it. He stepped in front of you, he took the pass, and he ran it, and he got the victory. And he spared you I told you this didn't work. From a football perspective, it doesn't work. But from a doctrinal perspective, it works because Jesus intercepted. He stood in place of us. I want you to think with me just for a moment about Romans chapter 5 verse 9. Listen to this. How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath. There's God's wrath. Jesus took it for you. I want you to think with me now for a moment. How many songs are there about God's love? Can you think of some? Easily, quickly. Jesus loves me. This I know. How about this one? Here's an old one. Some of us old folk will know this one. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day. Lots of songs about the love of God. Or this one, oh love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angel songs. There's a lot of songs about God's love. And we like to camp out there, don't we? How many songs are there about God's wrath? Well, not too many. But I thought of one tucked away in a beautiful little couplet in this In Christ Alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God, and helpless babe. This gift of love, there it is again, love. This gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross. As Jesus died, here it goes, listen now. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Why? For every sin on him was laid. 
Here in the death of Christ I live. Now turn to Psalm 90. Psalm 90, another one of my favorite psalms. Also suitable for memorization. Psalm 90 uh, gives us hints about um, our human lives. It's written by Moses. I think it's the only psalm that we know of that was written by Moses. It gives us some hints about human life. In this psalm, Moses says uh, our lifespan is about 70, but by reason of strength, 80. And Psalm, like Psalm 110, Psalm 90 also reveals so much about the relationship of God, but in this case, specifically to us. It tells us about God's nature. It does tell us about his anger, but it also gives us hope. Beginning in verse 7 and going through verse 12, Moses says this, For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all of our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or if we are strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and adversity. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. God's anger. Verse 7, for we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. This is written by a man who saw God's anger. This is written by a man who saw what God did when he was angry with Egypt. This is a man who saw what God did when the Israelites grumbled and complained in the wilderness. This is a man who was directly acquainted with the wrath of God. Verse 8 is so interesting. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. God knows your sin. He full well knows your sin. And in the fear of the Lord, verse 11, who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. All of a sudden, the fear of the Lord is a viable concept when you consider that The Lord we serve knows our sins, knows our shortcomings, knows our rebellious hearts. When you consider that, the fear of the Lord is the only reasonable response. And Moses says, who understands the power of your anger? And you would think, well, Moses could speak to that, and he could speak to that. But I think Moses is saying here that I cannot fully comprehend the depth of your anger. And the reality is that's exactly why only one person really knows the depth of God's anger. And that was his only begotten son, Jesus. Because at the cross, God's anger was poured out on his own son. He intercepted God's wrath, which was due to fall on us. And he was there not because of God's wrath entirely. He was also there because of God's love. 
till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Jesus was on the cross because of God's wrath. Jesus was on the cross because of God's love. If you don't know this Jesus, why in the world? Why would you tarry? Why don't you give it up and surrender to the one who gave his all for you? If you don't know Jesus, today would be a good day to get to know him. Give it up. Surrender. Give your life to him. He gave his life for you. If you do know him, here's an appeal to the redeemed. I'm gonna, I heard a quote. I read this quote in, in the news this week. And, and I want to read it to you. Here's the quote. I know you sent your only son to die for us. And all you ask is for radical obedience to you. You're not asking us to do the least. You know, people are like, well, at least I... How are we going to do the least when he did the most? Now, believe it or not, that quote was by someone you might not think would say something like that. But we serve a God of miracles, a God who saved a wretch like me. If he can save a wretch like me, he can save a wretch like Kanye West. Because that's who said that. Kanye West said this, I know you sent your only son to die for us, and all you ask for is radical obedience. You're not asking us to do the least. You know, people are like, well, at least I... How are we going to do the least when he did the most? So my appeal to you, Christian... Is how are you going to do the least when he did the most? Have you really given it all up? Is he really the Lord of your life? He should be. He deserves it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. These passages, Psalm 110, Psalm 90, many Proverbs that you gave us to help us understand the danger of anger how we need to respond to our own anger how we need to respond to the anger of the people around us but most importantly Lord how to respond to your anger your wrath Lord I'm thankful that in the Bible there are over 550 references to your anger your wrath But there are close to 1,900 references to your love. And that's where we want to go because we're afraid of your wrath and we love your love. Lord, if there is someone here today who does not know you as Savior, I pray that today will be their day of salvation. Lord, if there are Christians here who need to give it up and surrender and give you the most because you've given the most, Not the least. Lord, I pray that today will be that day of surrender as well. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.